Well, amen and amen. Why don't you grab your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 3. So we've been in this series about relationships, and what we're learning how to do is to navigate our relationships of all kinds on any uh, kind of sea, stormy sea, smooth seas, that we would be equipped and ready. And we've already talked about friendship. These are all the messages that are on the website right now and on the podcast. Friendship, singleness, marriage, parenting. Last week, last week at our other campus, I talked about dangerous relationships. And today we're actually going to talk about the most important relationship of all. And in fact, if you don't have this relationship in place, it will really undermine the other relationships in your life, and that is our relationship with Jesus himself. Now, I grew up in church, so I had heard that phrase a lot of times, that we have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it really didn't become crystallized for me until one Sunday as I was at church, and and uh, this has been years ago. And, uh, our pastor was doing preaching an amazing sermon, and it came to the end of the sermon, and they ended their services the same way that we end our services, which is with a time of prayer ministry. And so he's inviting people to come forward to pray for a lot of different reasons, but he's very clearly inviting people to come forward if they know uh, that they are ready to give their lives to Jesus, just fully become Christians. And, uh, and so the song starts and, and some people are coming forward to, to, you know, be prayed for and other people are starting to look at their watch knowing, you know, we're almost done and where are we going to go to eat and that whole thing. And I was sitting next to a, a friend of mine and he was a faithful church uh, goer, but I knew that he was not a Christian. You know, going to church was the sum total of his spirituality. And I knew that he had never really given his life to Jesus totally. And so I just felt compelled. I started praying for him just fervently, not out loud, because that would be weird if, you know, the person next to you was praying for you, that would be awkward. But just, just silently, just praying, praying, God, you know, move on his mind, help his mind to understand that all of us, even good church people, we're all sinners and we're all disconnected from you and we're disconnected from eternal life and we're disconnected for forgiveness of sins. But let his heart know that Jesus has come and out of love offered up his life on the cross and through the resurrection we can have eternal life. And, and just stir in his soul right now that he would just get up out of his seat and he would go forward. And, and so I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And I know this song, I've heard this song and I know how close we are getting to the end. And I know, you know, verse chorus and then second chorus and then the bridge and then third time and then one more and we're out of here and he still hasn't gotten up and I'm just praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And right at the last minute, he doesn't say, excuse me. He doesn't, you know, seem awkward about it. He just brushes right by, walks down the aisle and a few minutes later, he's being introduced to the church as a brand new follower of Jesus. And two things that were super cool about that. One, that, that happened to him. But number two, it was like, he heard my prayer. You know, I think that should be dud to us. But how often are we surprised that God hears our prayers? That it wasn't one of those things where it was like I prayed and it went up. And then six months later, it all worked out. You know, or... Prayed it real passionately, and then uh, by the next morning, I forgot that I even prayed a request. That happens to me. I'm sure that happens to you. But this was like I prayed, God heard, God answered, and I saw the fruit of it right there. I was like, man, we really do have a personal connection to Jesus. This is not just spiritual rhetoric and Christian talk. We really do. If I was going to summarize what that relationship with Jesus is really all about, I think I would use two words. 
It's about friendship, and it's about fear. And I know those two words don't seem like they should go together, but hopefully by the end of the message you'll see how they do. Otherwise you can get your money back at the end. Revelation chapter 3. Turn there with me, just so we're all on the same page. John, the beloved disciple, follower of Jesus, has actually been imprisoned on an island called Patmos. Sunday, he's filled with the Spirit, he's praying, he's meditating on the Word of God that he had memorized. He's just with the Lord. And all of a sudden he gets this vision of Jesus. And he gets a message to write a letter of the things that he's getting ready to see to seven churches. And we're going to read about one of those churches. Verse 14. Revelation chapter 3. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed and repent. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. The victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 22, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Four things I'd love for you to remember when you leave. Number one, Jesus introduces himself with holiness. Jesus introduces himself with holiness. Look at verse 14. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, meaning write to the church in Laodicea, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says. So this is how Jesus personally introduces himself to this church. He's the amen, which can mean faithful or depending on its context, really similar to the way that we use it uh, when we end our prayers, which means so let it be. I mean, that's really what you're saying when you're, you're saying amen at the end. It's not just, I'm done talking now, and let's move on to the next thing that we're doing. You're saying, I've made all these requests, amen, so let it be. Which I think is a beautiful and powerful way for us to relate to God. Because it really ministers, us, ministers to us in, in two ways. First, it's a great cry of faith. You know, Jesus says that through him... We have the faith to move a mountain. And it doesn't even take a lot of faith to do that. Just maybe the faith of a mustard seed. So through faith, we can make serious uh, requests. You can ask for God to do a miracle in your life. You can ask for God to do a miracle in uh, your, your children or in your job or whatever. You can ask be, for something beyond even normal expectation. And at the end, what you're saying is, I'm praying this to so let it be in faith to the amen, the one who has the power to answer. Or it ministers to us on the other side when we don't get the yes to our requests. We're still saying amen. We're still praying to, so let it be. You didn't give me what I want, but so let it be. I trust that you're going to uphold me with your right hand. I trust that you're going to lead me through this valley, maybe even the valley of the shadow of death. 
A couple of weeks ago, I was praying, and I've told you many times that I, I have to pray out loud because I'll pray for one sentence, and then I'll get distracted. I'll start thinking about all the things that I have to do that day, and, and so I'm praying out loud, and sometimes that turns into kind of a therapy session. You know, that's why therapists have a couch, because you start talking, and then you don't realize all that starts coming out of you, and that's why you want to be a person of few words. If you're kind of a private person, you don't want people to know your business, don't talk very much, because once you open your mouth, it just uh, all comes out. And so I'm praying, and I'm praying about a lot of different things. I got a list of requests, you know, just the same, and all of a sudden, as I'm praying, I realize that I've just been really anxious lately, and just really uptight is the better way to to say it. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're trying to control things that you really can't control. That's exercise and frustration. And, and so I just realized I was just really kind of heavy and I'm, and I'm in, this is coming out of me. And uh, just, I just came to this point where I, in prayer, and it wasn't the first time I'd ever prayed this, but maybe the first time in a long time, just essentially saying, you know, Jesus, I don't even care. What, I don't care how you answer this. I just want to know wherever you're going, that's where I'm going. And whatever you want, that's what I want. And if you want to say yes to this, then say yes to it. If you want to say no to it, then say no to it. I just want you to know that I'm with you. Wherever you're going, that's where I'm going. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. And that's the only thing that I want to do. What I was saying was embracing the so let it be. This is who I'm praying to, the amen, the so let it be. Whatever you want to do, that's what I want to do. And I can't tell you the amount of freedom and peace that just rushed in. Now, nothing on my to-do list got changed. None of my circumstances were changed. All the problems that I had at the beginning of the prayer, I still had at the end of the prayer. But somehow it didn't matter as much because I had entrusted myself to the amen. The so let it be. And then he goes on, the faithful and true witness. And then look at this, the originator of God's creation. You know, John starts his gospel with this same picture of Jesus when it says all things were created through him. This is John chapter one, verse three. And apart from him, not one thing was that created that has been created. So not only do we see him introduce himself as the amen, the faithful and true witness, but also the originator of God's creation. But look how the whole letter of Revelation starts. Turn one page to the left. This is the testimony of John of how all this came to be. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned to see whose voice it was who spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe and with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. And his feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came out from his mouth. And his face was shining like the sun at midday. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. So this is how we're introduced to him at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Followed by um, the Amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. I'm the originator of God's creation. And what that tells us is that any friendship with Jesus 
that does not carry the weight of his holiness is not friendship with Jesus. That if you are going to be a friend with Jesus, there has to be room in that relationship where you acknowledge this is the person that I am calling my friend. Which is why we use the word fear. I mean, John says, I got a clear and accurate picture of who Jesus was. And my only response was to fall down like a dead man. You may be like, well, that really doesn't go with my definition of friendship, the word fear. But the book of Proverbs says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The beginning of knowledge starts with the fear of God. It says that over and over and over again. And so if we are people who claim to know Jesus, that can't be possible without the proper respect being showed to him for who he is and what he can do. This past week, I read an article uh, by a Christian musician, and uh, he had written it on a Sunday morning, and he was kind of bragging about the fact that he had not been in church, which is, you know, kind of weird, and I thought that was kind of off-putting, because we all like to skip church every now and then, uh, but, you know, you probably shouldn't brag about it. You probably shouldn't walk in here on Sunday morning and go, I wasn't here last week, and I'm proud about it. You know, that's just not an attitude that you should have. You should feel deeply ashamed if you weren't here last week. No, I'm kidding. You shouldn't. A little bit, but not really. Um, <laughs> So he's bragging about not being in a church. And then he goes on to, he starts kind of taking aim at some of the songs we sing at church. And he says, I don't want to be a part of, of singing songs, really. And this is my summary of his words about God's glory and how God is awesome and how God is unique among all the other gods. And essentially he was dismissing like half of the Bible, half of the Old Testament. He said, you know, I want to sing songs that are come from the gospel, songs about loving one another and, and being kind to one another and gentle one another. That's the songs, the kind of songs that I want to sing on Sunday morning. Now listen, I love you. You're wonderful. But uh, I don't want to sing songs about you on Sunday morning. If we come in here and your name is up on the screen and we got to sing a song to you and it's not happy birthday, like I got to go and find a different church. Like I just, that's not going to get me out of bed on a Sunday morning to come to sing to you. And I'm guessing if you came to sing to me, that's not really going to get you in the parking lot either. But that's our human nature. That's our, that's our, our flesh. We want to strip away this fiery uniqueness about Jesus. And what our flesh wants and really what our world wants is we want Jesus to just be the best possible version of us. We want him to be the model for all of humanity. In fact, you'll hear people say that all across our country, all across the world, people who believe in Jesus, people who don't believe in Jesus, people of other different religions, people who are atheists don't mind putting Jesus out there as long as Jesus is only the model for us to follow. Just the best possible version of us. We should all be so kind like Jesus. We should all be so loving like Jesus. We should all be gentle like Jesus. But there is a holiness about Jesus that when he pulls back the curtain for us to see him as he truly is, our only response is to act like we are dead. So yes, he is our model. We should be so lucky to be as kind and gentle and loving and warm and gracious as he is. But we cannot dismiss his holiness. Why? Because he is holy and this is how he introduces himself. He doesn't say to the church in Laodicea, hey, it's your boy, Jesus. Yo, your bro's writing you from heaven, just chilling next to the Father. No, he says, I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness. I am the originator of God's creation. And if we're going to call him friend, 
That friendship needs to bear the weight of his true identity. Next thing that I want you to remember, there is a faith that he does not receive. There is a faith that he does not receive. Verse 15, I know your works, which can either be a good thing or a scary thing, depending on who you are this morning. Some of you are working really, really hard. The question you've been asking yourself is, does anybody notice? Some of you moms, your husband leaves for work. You stay at home with the kids all day and he comes home and everything is put together in order. And he just assumes that the fairies made it that way right before he got there. But you worked hard for it. And sometimes in the midst of that, you're like, does anybody know what I'm doing? Can anybody see? Some of you men, you go to work and you do your job and you come home and you know, they hand you the kid. It's your turn. It's been my turn. Now it's your turn. And what are we going to do for dinner? And there's never any acknowledgement that you got there and you worked hard. You did your job. You bring the paycheck. Ladies, you feel that same way. And so if you're feeling that way today, it's good to know that he knows your works. If you've been serving hard in the church, if you've been building up the kingdom and nobody's really taken notice, nobody's written you a thank you note lately, nobody's come around and patted you on the back, you can know today that he knows your works. It can be an encouraging thing or it can be a terrifying thing. So it doesn't matter what face you put on this morning, whether it's an honest face, a happy face, a religious face, a my life is great face, my kids are so wonderful and I've never ever spanked them ever. We don't have something in our house called a spanking spoon. I don't know what family would do that. It doesn't matter what face you put on today, he knows your works. You may appear to be the perfect husband. He knows your works. You may be the perfect uh, picture of what a wife should be. He knows your works. You may be pretend uh, to be just the greatest dad that's ever lived. He knows your works. You may be pretending today, putting on the face of, I'm the best Christian, I'm righteous, and I love it, and my Bible is so worn out because I read it, not because it just sits in my car in the hot sun and it's warped over time. <laughs> but He knows your works. So whoever you are today, whatever image you are projecting, and we are all projecting an image. He knows our works. And these were their works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, Laodicea was a part of a triangle of cities. To the north was a a city called Hierapolis, and to the east, a city called Colossae. That's where we get the book of Colossians from. It was a letter written to the church in that city. And so in Hierapolis, uh, there was a natural hot spring, and people would come from all over the place. Historians tell us this, to, to, to take part in what they thought were the natural healing properties of that hot water. In Colossae, there was a natural freshwater spring. Now, Laodicea did not have a permanent source of water itself. And so they would try to pipe in the hot water from Hierapolis, and they would try to pipe in the cold water from Colossae. But by the time the hot water got to them, it wasn't hot anymore. And by the time the cold water had gone through the pipe, kind of in the hot sun, it wasn't cold anymore. So by the time it got to the city, it was just 
lukewarm. So Jesus is not saying, listen, I would rather you either be a totally on fire, totally committed Christian or not be a Christian at all. What he's saying is, is I want you to be useful, be useful, either hot or be useful, either cold, but be something. Don't be something in the middle, which is nothing. It's not helpful. It's not beneficial. So these guys thought I'm offering this great faith we're doing these great works. We're projecting a great image, but Jesus didn't actually receive it. In fact, he said, I, I want to spit you out of my mouth. So Jesus knew their works, but they didn't know their works, which is the next thing I want you to write down. The Laodiceans did not know their true condition. Verse 17. Because you say I'm rich. How are they rich? I've become wealthy and need nothing. That's what they thought. Here's the reality. And you don't know, Jesus says, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. So they said they become wealthy and they need nothing. This is misguided satisfaction. You notice it's not spiritual either. It's material things that affect the spiritual Now, contentment is good. I mean, Philippians 4 tells us that we should be content, that we shouldn't be anxious, but you want to be content with the right things. When you and I become content about the wrong things, when we have misguided satisfaction, that is eternally deadly. I mean, but this is a perfect summary of Houston, Texas, especially for those of us who live out here in the suburbs, I've become wealthy. And you may be like, well, I'm not wealthy. That's not how I would describe myself. Maybe not compared to a neighbor. Maybe not compared to even the person sitting next to you today. But I bet compared to you, you are wealthier now than you have been in the past. Because at one time you were in college and you had zero dollars to your name. You were early married and you were living in a tiny apartment that had a bunch of roaches in it, but you were living the dream. You're not in that place anymore. So compared to you, you have become wealthy. A lot of times when you become wealthy, then the natural result is, well, I don't really need anything. People who live in your neighborhood, that's what they're saying. I don't need anything. I mean, just imagine how offensive it would be to your neighbor if you went today, got home from church, you knocked on their door. Just say, hey, I just feel like you just need a lot of help. Here's $50. Buy yourself some food this week. Wouldn't they be offended? If somebody did that to you, wouldn't you be offended? You'd rather meet the person selling stuff, you know, than that, than somebody offering you charity. You're like, I don't need any help. I mean, I want that $50 for sure, but I don't need that $50. I can buy my own food. We got groceries. You want to come and look at my refrigerator right now? I mean, it's not very clean. It's got splattered stuff all over it, but come and look at it. It's full. It's filled with a bunch of old Chinese food, but it's full be offensive. Why? Because we become wealthy and we don't need anything. We don't need anything because we have a good job. We don't need anything because we have a, a small margin for error in our counting. We don't need anything because our kids are smart. We don't need anything because our kids are athletic and we're praying they're either one or the two. We don't need anything because we got good close friends. We don't need anything because we got a close family. We don't need anything because we've got a lot of things to fill up our calendar. We don't need anything because we're normal. And it feels offensive 
to be labeled as anything beyond normal. Normal is the anthem of those who become wealthy and need nothing. I got a normal home, not too small, not too big. I got normal kids, good personalities, good set of skills. I got a normal job. I got a normal car. I become wealthy and I need nothing. And some of us have been become content. And that contentment is deadly because faith does not thrive and cannot survive in an atmosphere that, where there is no need. You can't. The only faith that survives in that kind of atmosphere is a faith in yourself. And the word of God says in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you came in here today and I came in here today and our motto was I've become wealthy and I have no need of anything. This is just religion. This was just a Sunday habit. And all of your offering of coming to church today will stay in the parking lot. And the Laodiceans, they didn't even know They didn't even know. They just thought that they were doing what they were supposed to do. And some of us today, we didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know we had somewhere along the line convinced ourselves that we had become wealthy and need nothing. We didn't know that Jesus was saying, like, you're not hot and you're not cold and I'm ready to spit you out of of my mouth. We didn't know. And they didn't know. And look what Jesus said was true about them. They're wretched. They're pitiful. They're poor. They're blind and naked. Translated in our words, you've been rejected. People feel sorry for you. You have nothing. You see nothing. And you are exposed. This is your true condition. Here's a question I want you to write down and ask yourself sometime later today. Has my success and opportunity convinced me that I need Jesus less than I actually do? Not have you convinced yourself, I'm not sure any of us set out to do that, but has my success and my opportunity convinced me that I need Jesus less than I actually do? And the last thing that I want you to write down and remember this morning, friendship is the goal. So Jesus says some pretty harsh and honest things to them, but he he says why in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So these are sharp words, but it's only because I love you, Jesus says. Then he says this in verse 20, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. So the goal for Jesus is to get inside your house and not just inside your house, but at your table. See, his ministry has always been deeply personal and a lot of it took place inside a home. Some of his greatest work took place inside of a home. A little girl was raised from the dead inside a house. A sinful woman was forgiven inside a house. A paralyzed man was given the ability to walk inside a house. A mother-in-law had her health restored inside a house. Sinners were welcomed to the table inside a house. Two blind men were given their sight inside a house. Jesus explained his parables and many other things to his disciples inside his house. And notice Jesus' approach. He stands at the door and knocks. He's on the front step, but he wants to get in, so he knocks. And then when he gets in, he doesn't just want to hang out in the foyer. He wants to get to the table because around the table is where the most important stuff happens. That's where the life happens. That's where the memories happen. 
fact, if I asked you to start going through your list of memories, some of your most important memories, I bet a meal or two is among them. Amanda and I's first date was, I think, about 15 years ago, a little over 15 years ago. And uh, we had been known each other for about a week, and she was already in love with me, obviously. I'm kidding. She wasn't. She was, uh, in fact, she introduced me later that day as her friend. So we had to have a DTR immediately after our first date. But it's parking a lot of the Starbucks over on Highway 6 and West Road and 529 over there. And uh, so our date was uh, we were going to go bowling. Then we were going to go eat, and then we were going to go to Starbucks. That was today. So we went bowling. She claims that she won. Uh, there's no record of that written down anywhere. So I let her believe that, though, because I'm a good husband. And, uh, and then we went to uh, James Coney Island. See, I grew up in Missouri. I didn't know about James Coney Island. So we showed up in the parking lot, and she's like, I'm going to mentor you now. And I'm like, what are you going to mentor me? She's like, well, this place is kind of unique. And I'm like, it's Coney's, you know. Sonic has Coney's. And she was like, get out of my car right now. What are you doing? James Coney Allen and Sonic are not even, they shouldn't even be in the same sentence ever. She's like, here's what it's like. It's got the freshest bun you've ever eaten in your whole life. In fact, it's probably not even real bread. They made it up in a laboratory. That's how fresh it is at all times. Then they're going to lay a hot dog in there. And then they're going to scoop out this amazing chili gravy with some meat in it. And then they're going to put cheese on it. And I'm like, what kind of cheese? And so she said, they're actually going to get a gun out of the back. And they gun the cheese onto the coney. It's silver. It's a work of God. It's amazing. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. I love cheese. Cheese is my love language. And so I'm all about this. This would be fantastic. She goes, then we're going to get French fries. And I'm like, I love French fries. This is great. She's like, but then we're going to put the chili and cheese on the French fries. I'm like the same gun, cheese gun going to get on the French fries. She's like, yeah. And it, I mean, it was amazing. And they put it on a real plate because that's how special it was. They don't need no paper plates and no blue trays. I mean, they got the real plates back then at James Coney Island. And I'll remember that forever because of that meal. A, it was delicious. And I'm going to go there immediately after church. <laughs> and B, because it was our first date around the table. And your memories are like that too. Somewhere in your memories, there were some special moments of you with your closest friends, closest family. You laugh, talk about some serious things. You laugh again. You give the updates on the kids and the parents and the cousins. You laugh some more. You talk about what you've been watching on TV. You talk about the Lord. You talk about what you're praying for. You laugh some more. Then you say goodbye and you can't wait to do it again. There's something powerful about a friendship around a table. And this is what Jesus has invited us to. He's invited you to the table. Somebody in here is going to think, well, he's invited me to a business lunch where I got what I need to talk about listed and he's got what he needs to talk about listed. We're going to exchange that information and an hour later we're going to go on about our business. No, where is this table that he wants to get you to? It's in your house. He stands at your door and he knocks and he invites you to your table. That's the kind of friendship that he wants. And when you and I see that kind of friendship, it brings whole new levels of meaning to the scripture. Because now the Bible is not just a bunch of history in the first half and then all the stuff I got to do in the second half. It's an invitation to the table, a table of friendship. 
And prayer takes on a whole new life. It's not just an exchange of will. It's not, this is my will, and then you give me your will, and hopefully somehow those wills mesh up and I get what I want. Prayer is an invitation to the table to laugh and to cry, talk about stuff that's deadly serious, and talk about stuff that's not so serious, the big stuff and the small stuff, for yourself and for the people that you care about. It's an invitation to the table. And that's what church is. Church is not just a habit. It's not just a routine. It's an invitation into a house to come around the table and to be encouraged and to be built up. It's a whole new level of meaning. It's the friendship. And it's also the fear. It's friendship around the table, but we know the grace of who's sitting at the table. It's not just my bro, Jesus. It's not my homie. It's not my buddy. It's not, yeah, man. How you been? It's the amen. The so let it be. The faithful and true witness. The originator of God's creation. He is the one who has invited us to the table. You're like, well, I want a part of that. What do I got to do? Thankfully, he gives us the instructions. Verse 19. So be committed. That's the first step for some of us. Be committed. Not be committed to coming to church. That's not enough. Be committed to Jesus. Have you ever come to a point in your life where you said, I am giving all of my faith to Jesus? may not be a lot of faith. It may not be as much faith as the person next to me, but every ounce of faith I have, I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm trusting in him for the forgiveness of my sin and eternal life. Have you come to that place where you've committed your life to him? If not, then just like my friend, When others come forward to pray, you come forward to give your life to Jesus. Be committed and repent, he says. Some of us have been projecting. And Jesus says, I know your works. I know your works. Some of us need to repent. We've turned this into a business relationship. This is what I want. This is what you want. What kind of deal can we work out? No. Repent of that. It's friendship. And then verse 20, listen. Listen. Listen for his knock today. Listen for his invitation to come to the table. When you leave today, tomorrow morning when you wake up, listen for his invitation to the table as you pick up your Bible. Listen to his invitation as you turn down the radio on your commute tomorrow and you just pray. For as long as it feels right. Listen next Sunday for his invitation to the table as you come to church. Not to just check it off. But to come to the table. Where the amen. The faithful and true witness and the originator of God's creation waits for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. thankful that you do the inviting today. I pray that you would just tune our ears to hear the knock. Somebody right now is hearing the knock and they're opening the door. 
opening the door to the friendship and the fear, the intimacy and the respect, the closeness and the honor. Jesus, we are a people well aware today that this isn't about us being better mommies and daddies and better husbands and wives and four steps to better finances. That this life is about an invitation to know the Son of God and to make our lives count for what matters most. So we receive that today. We open any door that's been closed to you. We pray these things in the powerful name of the so let it be, Jesus Christ.